What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I am Ben Bolin. Ben, we're going to talk about gray market cars today. Yes, and... Riddle me this, Scott. What's the first thing that sprang to your mind when you heard the term gray market? Gray market. I, I was thinking almost like on the fringe of being illegal is what okay. I think. So something like a, a non-FDA approved medication or maybe uh, buying guns at a gun show kind of thing. I'm thinking I was thinking like, um, you know, not quite black market, but uh, just slightly, just maybe just a little bit more on the legal side of things, but still illegal. A little seedy. Yeah, and that's not the case, is it? No, no. that's totally, that's uh, that's not the case. The gray market in this case is completely legal. And, um, you know, I'll be honest, I don't I don't really see anything wrong with what these guys are doing. No, I don't either. I think that, and, and actually it's perfectly legal. In every every respect, I mean, they wait the allotted amount of time, and we're going to get to all these de- can I, details. Yeah, but- can I paint the picture real quick? Please do. Okay, so for um, for a domestic car buyer in the United States, you have a couple of different choices, right? You have uh, you can buy from a U.S. based manufacturer, mm-hmm. um, or you can buy from a manufacturer based in a different country. And in a lot of cases, uh, those, uh, you know, like Toyota, for instance, has factories here in the U.S., right? Yeah, so you buy them through their distributed, in their the distributor US. network. Right. And it goes to this distributor network. However, because of the global part of, because of the global aspects of uh, these tremendously complex financial arrangements that countries have between each other, countries often pass trade laws that say thou shalt not sell product A in country B yeah. until, you know, these the, this ridiculous uh, labyrinth of regulations have been satisfied. Yeah, this, this comes down to a lot, of, uh, a lot of safety concerns here in the United States as well as emissions concerns. And in other countries, there are, there are different concerns that are, that are uh, considered um, every time that one of these vehicles is produced by um, manufacturer X over in uh, in Australia, right? You know they want to import it into Germany, and yet Germany says, "I'm sorry, we can't import that unless you do 
uh, this, this, and this, and you have to comply right. to you have to comply to our standards. Well, here in the United States, most of those come down to safety. Most of them come down to emissions. And in Canada, there's slightly different uh, restrictions as well. We're going to talk about Canada today, the United States today as well. And okay. there's so many different uh, angles on this one that we're we're not going to cover right. everything on gray market or or exactly what um, you know exactly every little tiny thing that has to be done because a lot of it is paperwork. Yeah, and that's kind of a different episode for us anyway because the topic is a little bit different from what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, but it is it is a real thing. I also want to give a shout out to one of our listeners who wrote to us uh, regarding the um, the differences between U.S. and U.K. Mm-hmm. safety standards when we were talking about that uh the impact hood, remember? Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, also there was, a, there was a listener who wrote in, a, he had a kit car that he was working on that he had to take in for inspection, remember? And everything had to be accessible or you had to have a photograph of, of every single nut and bolt uh, to uh-huh. be able to determine whether or not that nut and bolt had the right, uh, the, the proper ratings yep. that it was supposed to have. And if you didn't, you had to disassemble it on the spot. And I mean, there's, there's regulations like that that we don't have to adhere to in the States that they do over there. And then, you know, other things that they have to put up with, or that they don't have to put up with, but that we do have to put up with here and, and vice versa. And it, it's like that all over the entire world. And you can imagine how complex this gets for an auto manufacturer to try to build one vehicle. Right. That meets every single regulation across the world in all markets, and it's just not possible. And as we find out, uh, the United States has a unique set of state safety and emission regulations that are administered uh, by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, or the NHTSA, as we like to call them, right. um, for all motor vehicles. And uh, this differs significantly from the international UN regulations, which are you know used throughout the rest of the entire world. So the United States is kind of a, uh, a special case in that in that situation. And for a a few manufacturers who just produce like you know relatively few different models that they do want to import to the United States, um, you know, most notably, I think we're talking about people that build high end sports cars. Those people that you know have maybe they're going to sell. 25 cars here in the United States. Right, yeah. This becomes very, very expensive because to make a car compliant to be able to be sold here in the United States and as everything that the manufacturer has to do on this, you know, the, the back end of this whole thing. Or, right. Or is that the front end? I guess it's the front end. Um, it's going to cost them somewhere around $2 million per model vehicle. So right, not, not so, every vehicle, yeah. but two per model, I guess. So mm-hmm. let's say you launch, uh, this, this sedan that you want to sell here in the United States. It's going to cost you $2 million to comply to the U.S. safety and, and emission standards. And if you want to sell that car in Canada, you're going to have to make it comply to a different set of standards. And Australia you know, and the U.K. Same thing with Germany and Japan. And everywhere in the world is, is completely, not completely, but slightly different enough that this causes a big uh, red tape headache, I guess. A lot of paperwork has to be done. Right. And we also have to consider that along with this enormous financial cost, there's a time, uh, there's a time sink too, you yeah. know? So, um. And, and that is where this, yeah. this whole gray market thing comes in that we're going to talk about today. Right. Yes. So we're talking about, again, you know, I know gray market can have kind of a bad name, mm-hmm. uh, but we're talking about a legal thing that several entrepreneurs have done to, uh, to bring some really cool cars to the U.S. and uh, Canada that might not otherwise get there. Again, totally legal. And yeah. the way it works is that in the United States, you have a 25-year wait. Now, the 25-year wait, and I kind of looked into this, why is it why is it that long? And I'll tell you in just a second what you have to do to the car. But the 25-year wait is uh, is when the car is exempt from all NHTSA safety regulations. 
Right. And it's also exempt from EPA emissions regulations, and that happens after 21 years, just so that we we're clear on that. Uh, it actually clears the EPA before it clears NHTSA standards. So a 25-year-old car is considered antique in the eyes of the law here in the United States, and that's what we're we're talking about. Is an an- these are antique cars, as odd as it may seem, you know, cars right. cars that are now uh, I think 25 years ago here would be uh, 1989. Yeah, right, get ready to feel old, everybody. And, and in Canada, the the wait limit is 15 years, so they only have to wait 15 years. So they've got a 10 year jump on the United States as far as importing certain vehicles that we can't get here for another 10 years. Right. And uh, and again, you can't import something to Canada and then have it brought over to the United States. You still have to wait that 25 years. Mm-hmm. So that's the way all that works out. Now, as far as you know, bringing a car into the United States, you know, even after that point, or rather, yeah, I guess, I guess what you'd have to do to that car in order to make it compliant. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to do quite a few different things. And so for importing cars to the United States, you know, there's some modifying, there's some equipment changes that have to be made. And that's what gets expensive along with, you know, this headache of paperwork that comes along with it. Right. Now, some of the things that the NHTSA and EPA, um, needed to change, you know, in addition to all that stuff was, uh, headlamps and side marker lights and catalytic converters, which were required, you know, as part of, you know, the whole regulation thing. And, uh, this, Kind of came about in the 1970s here in the United States when people were starting to demand cars that were available for sale somewhere else, but they yeah. couldn't have them here. And that's, that's really the crux of what we're talking about today is that, you know, these are, these are interesting vehicles that we wanted to have here in the United States, but couldn't because of all these different regulations. Right. And, you know, if you may, if you think about it, the beef makes sense because you're saying, I have the money for this car. I have a driver's license. What's going on? Yeah, because, you know, I can get this version of the vehicle here in the United States. This, uh, let's just take an example, Mazda, whatever it was, an RX-7. Sure. Yeah. And I'm making this up because I think there's a Mazda in our list here of 11 cars. But let's say you got a Mazda and, and it has uh, 50 less horsepower here in the United States versus the one that they were able to sell in Japan. Now, wouldn't you be excited to be able to, to buy that 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 version that was yeah. sold in Japan with 50 more horsepower? Yeah, of course. Well, now, you know, because we've waited 25 years... There's there's the time now where you can buy that vehicle here in the United States legally, but you couldn't prior to that. So you know we're getting right to the sweet spot, I guess, where these these cars from the 19, late 1980s, which right. were um, some pretty remarkable vehicles, really, mm-hmm. are starting to become available here in the United States and in Canada. And in Canada, they've got a different set of regulations, and and then we'll get into our list, I promise. But um, in Canada. They have to meet uh, the Canada Motor Vehicle Safety Standards, which is the CMVSS is what they call that. And there's different standards there. And one of the things that they have to meet is um, it has to have daytime running lights, tether anchors to permit um, infant car seats to be attached, uh-huh. uh, documentation that indicates that any repairs required in response to the original manufacturer's factory recalls have been complete. That's something we don't have here in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have to have an immobilization system that meets, um, you know, these, uh, CMVSS standards. They also have to have a label that indicates, uh, the vehicle's import status and it warns that the odometer is counting in miles as opposed to in kilometers, right. which is, uh, something I find kind of funny, but I mean, I guess, you know, you, that's something that someone could pull a fast one on somebody and, and, you know, tell them that it's, it's, metering in kilometers <laughs> when it's really metering in miles and you know there could be some uh, shenanigans pulled that well, way. Well you also don't want to you also don't want to be pulled over. Yeah, exactly. Knowing exactly. What so but they, but they have regardless of this all this they have a 15 year cutoff rule there instead of the 25 years that we have to wait here. So they've got a bit of a jump on us as far as importation. And uh and that means that you know they they're able to get a few different cars from uh you know 
well, I guess it would be 19, Japan, yeah, 1999, yeah. up to 1999 at this point. Right. So they've got a, a much wider selection of cars that uh, that people really find desirable. Again, you are not allowed or supposed to take these cars from Canada to the United States. Yeah, that's right. And there's uh, there's certain regulations that uh, you can you can get around a few of those things if you sure. say that it's uh, it's you know. Um, a personal vehicle that you're using for transport, you know, just on a on a road trip here in the United States, right? Like you're Canadian, you're not going to live in the United States, or if it's being imported to uh, for display or show, I think is another right. case. Or, or if you have the wherewithal, just get a house in Canada, you know, and uh, keep your car there. <laughs> This is getting expensive for a few years. Yeah, this is getting too expensive because uh, you're talking about setting up a second residence. That seems illegal to me, Ben. That's is illegal. that illegal? That sounds illegal. Just doesn't sound right. It's like people who get mail to a certain address and then attend a school in that zone. You know, that doesn't oh, sound right. You know, yeah. then they find out that 15 people supposedly live in that house. Oh, okay. No, no. Or receive mail. It's at the your house. own home, dude. It's like your summer home. Oh, I see. I feel like you don't see my vision here. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but kidding aside. Um, before we go into the list, you want to talk a little bit about some of the companies? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, great. So when we're talking about these cars being imported, who's actually doing the heavy lifting here? Yeah, you know? because this could be quite a headache if you were to try to find a car. I mean, how would you and I find a car in Japan and have it imported here to the United States? Right, yeah. I Don't get me wrong. I love Amazon, and FedEx does a great job, too. Yeah, and you can only trust eBay so far, really. You can only trust eBay so far. It's God shifty, bless it. It's got shifty eyes. Well, in that case, uh, your best bet would probably go would be to go to a professional, an expert who has done this before. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, Scott, uh, you've dug up a couple of people who are purely import professionals. And I'm going to say that this is really the only way to do this. I mean, I, I think that you have to go to somebody who is a professional, someone who's done this before, because yeah. you will be mired down with paperwork and, and shipping headaches. And there's a uh, there's a downside to all this, too. Ben, I, I didn't know this. And just one little quick thing I need to add before yeah, we talk yeah, about yeah. this importing company. You can go through the whole process and have it here in the United States. And if they decide that your your car doesn't meet the approval of, of all of the uh, the people that it needs to, it can be crushed. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. 
We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Oh, I knew you were going to say it. That's yeah. right, guys. It Not be, They it, won't deport your car. It will be crushed on the docks. They'll just take a crane and smash the thing right in front of your eyes, I mean, so that you know that it's it's destroyed. So it's possible that you will never even see the car. And you'll lose all of your money because you've already paid for everything. That's that's the last no part of the, yeah. That's the last part of the thing because it's out of the seller's hand at this point. You're you're the you're you're trying to gain possession. There's this weird time where it's not owned by anybody, I guess, right. uh, until it clears uh, customs. And if it doesn't clear customs for whatever reason, the car can be destroyed, which is just terrible. And also. You know, consider that at this point, you're not only out the cost of your car, these import specialists do not work for free. Exactly. And you've found a couple here that uh, that are pretty good examples, and they, they come from this article, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, the article that we're going to follow for the 11 cars that we can finally get in the United States. Right. And it's from a popular mechanics article, and the first one is Zen Auto Works, and that's in Calgary, yeah. Alberta, Canada. Right, yeah. And... These uh, these guys are a father and son team, which I love. Mm-hmm. That I, I love a family business, um, and they all started because they they started this whole company because they were really disappointed in the selection for affordable project cars in Canada in 2004, and they looked and they looked and they looked, and then they finally found. A 1988 Toyota GT4 Turbo from Switzerland. Hmm, Switzerland. That would be a tough one to buy. Yeah. I would think. But they managed to do it. It was their first import. And now they specialize in locating, purchasing, importing, and, this is the big part, Scott, complying vehicles from abroad. Hmm, that's interesting. Now the complying part, that's the uh, that's the tough thing cuz right. you know they they're they're, uh, they're able to get, you know, these cars in where you and I we may have a little bit of trouble cuz they've got um I want to say they got the pull, but they've got the know-how at this point. They've done right. it, they've done it so many times. They probably know a few people in these different offices and you know they know they're on the up and up. They're not trying to pull one over on them. So they probably have an in that way. I mean, it, it just the, the experience pays off in this case. Right. And um one of the things that one of the things that they emphasize that to me makes them worth the price, which of course, uh, just so you know, if you're looking to import a vehicle, the price is going to vary by vehicle because there are certain things that will be different for compliance. And there are going to be, of course, still certain things you just can't get because of the time. And shipping, I guess. Shipping concerns, like it depends on how it can be shipped because most of them are shipped in containers. 
uh, right. the type cargo you see, containers. Exactly, the type that you see loaded onto freighters. You know, they look like uh, almost look like um, the backs of semis or, or train cars that are loaded onto uh, onto these freighters. And you know, the containers are sealed up, and there's different processes for opening them and inspecting what's going on inside. Right. They've got reinforced steel keeping them mobilized. Exactly, and and you know, they they are careful to mention here that you know the the uh, the steel containers. They they show you photos of of some of the cars that are that are loaded in these steel containers right. and how they're loaded and that they're done in a safe manner and you know that things aren't going to get banged up and you know, they're right. they're very careful to tell you about the way that that it, that they're secured so that they're not going to be just kind of rolling all over the place in there and being damaged on the way because you know that would kind of stink if you bought a car and you know you see the photographs of it and then you know somewhere along the way you know heavy seas or whatever and you know s- suddenly the uh, the passenger side is almost wiped out by you know the the ship listing right and uh, the container not being sealed up per- correctly well they they're careful to say that you know they do the shipping they they make sure that the packing is all done very well and they fully insure everything that, which to me is huge that is a big big selling point for them Mm-hmm. Yeah, because one of the, one of the things that's different is, of course, they're not the only uh, they're not the only players in this game, and a lot of importers will say, "Okay, what are you looking for?" I can definitely find it. Their emphasis is more on making sure that it gets there safely, because it's not the idea of finding a vehicle somewhere in the world is not impossible. The the really tricky part. You know, the magic trick is getting it to the customer. Yeah, getting it at that last 12,000 miles to you. Right. Uh, safely, you know, yeah. via whatever method that happens to be, whether it's a cargo ship or well, it's usually a ship. I it, guess. it pretty much has to be cargo I, ship if it's overseas. I don't think they would fly these things over. I mean, in extreme cases, maybe. Somewhere in the Middle East, somebody's yeah. getting a, a, <laughs> a car delivered by, via plane, but that, that person is probably not the normal guy. Maybe. And you know, there's, uh, there are other places that do right. this. You mentioned they're not the only game in town. I mean, that's, I'm sure there are plenty of others in, in Canada that do the same thing. Zen just happens to be the one that contributed to this, uh, this popular mechanics article. Right. So let's go to the states. Yeah. The states, there's one that uh, was also featured in this article and it was called Orchid Euro. Mm-hmm. And Orchid Euro is a, what they call rare and unusual automotive importers. Up there in Pennsylvania, in right? Pennsylvania. That's right. And, they, um, where is it? It's in Norristown, Pennsylvania. And they specialize in European, uh, makes and models. Uh, but they do work with others. They, they're careful to say that, you know, we're not going to exclude anybody, but we're, we're primarily focused on European makes. And they also do, which I found really interesting, they'll do complete right-hand drive conversions for your left-hand drive cars. Which so, is cool, huh? And, and it doesn't, it doesn't start that much. I mean, it's like maybe a thousand bucks, you know, for, for some of the lower end conversions. But if you want to go up, you know, there's some other makes and models that will uh, will cost a bit more, like up to two thousand dollars, but and requires a few donor parts from you as well. Uh, yeah, you know, like steering wheel things like that that are left over from your car. Uh, but these these entire kits are really pretty. Something you know, there's something else. They're really pretty remarkable. Um, and you know, a lot of things you think, well, why would I ever want to convert my car to right hand drive here in the states? It's just kind of a uh, I don't know. It's kind of a, a street import tuner type thing. You know, it's a uh, uh, it's it's an interesting thing to do, I guess, if you're a hot rodder, I suppose. Yeah, but it, uh, here's my opinion. It makes your car stand out. Yeah, it's your car. Do what you want. But there's another good use for it as well. Ah, what's that? Mail carriers. Ah, yes. And a lot of mail carriers will want their uh, their, their seating position to be on the right-hand side of the car instead of the left-hand side. Uh, Just so, so can, it's not jarring? Exactly. And, and so they can reach the... Uh, they can reach the um, the mailbox is easier as they drive down the street because, you know, we drive on the right-hand side here, and the mailbox is going to be on the right-hand side. Mm-hmm. So it's just a lot easier if you're not on the left-hand side of the car. Oh, I just now got it. I thought you were talking about the postal workers 
making their private cars oh, no. conversions <laughs> no. just because it'd be too freaky to switch. No, no, but. no. I'm talking about so that uh, for ease of use, I suppose, because in rural areas, you yeah. find that a lot of uh, a lot of pe- people that deliver mail use their own personal vehicle, yep. and that gets to be really straining. I mean, it could be physically exhausting on them and, and damaging, really. I mean, yeah. back issues, arm issues, whatever, shoulder issues. So, you know, this just makes their job a lot easier. So there's a, a very practical reason for that. But I think a lot of the cases cases that they do here, you know, these conversions, I think, are just for, for style, mainly. Yeah. Now, uh, this company, Orchid Euro, uh, also focuses a little bit more on parts and mm-hmm. components. Yeah. Um, because most of what I see them importing will be um, their own hard-to-find European version or Euro- European-compliant components. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... That that goes along, of course, with something like a right hand drive swap. But then also, and and they, I think they also specialize in Volkswagen, because uh, there's a really cool part on the website where the owner uh, is talking about he has his list of vehicles currently owned, and they're all Volkswagens. Yeah, he's got a long list of vehicles that he owns, right? I think yeah, it's like yeah. six or eight cars. Yeah, and everybody that works there has you know three or four vehicles. So uh, these guys are really into it. And as far as parts, you know, I mean, just think about it. If you were driving a, uh, you know, Volkswagen GTI and you wanted to get a, a European conversion kit for the front headlights and, and front bumper or whatever, this, right. would be, this would be the place you go. I mean, I know that there are places that you can also order these things aftermarket. But you know, if you want to get an authentic uh, part that has been imported, I mean, this is maybe the place to go, this Orchid Euro, because they'll be able to uh, – Get the authentic pieces straight from Germany. Be able right. to get the because uh, they're they're buying uh, cars that are maybe not necessarily you know the pristine cars. They're also buying cars that they can use for parts. Right, and like uh, like the guys over at Zen Import, uh, they decided to launch this company because they were tired of having to go through such a rigmarole every time they needed. You know, it if you if you do work on. Um, an import car or if you're uh, kidding out something that you already own, it's surprising. It's like death by a thousand paper cuts if you try to find that one bumper piece or the one, like a tiny thing. It can be very frustrating. So yeah. uh, so this is a way around that. And again, this is just one that contributed to this list. And I think we should get to the list pretty soon here. But uh, maybe first, there's something else we should do. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian, someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet, and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. 
We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so now that we've given you the lay of the land here, as well as uh, some pretty neat recommendations... It's time for us to get to this list that we've been excited about, and that is 11 cool import cars that you can finally buy in the United States. Yeah, now that's the United States. So, again, these are the 25-year mark cars. So everything that you're going to hear about is going to be from 1989 um, or just prior to that, maybe. Right. Just a little bit older, maybe. Um, And this is in no particular order. Um, but they do count them down, you know, from one to eleven. And this one is uh, this one is number one on the list. And it's I think this may be actually the number one pick, Ben. This is a popular choice. Yeah, the nineteen eighty nine Nissan Skyline GTR, which is the R thirty two version. And uh, this is a uh, this is the one that we talked about this this well the Skyline which became the GTR right which uh, which we've talked in we a full a podcast two part GTR podcast exactly they call it Godzilla and there's good reason for that because uh, this particular car this one. Um, this is, well, when this one first came out, this, this version, it was the first one in 16 years, cause, you know, they had the version that was prior to this back in the early 70s, I believe it was. Uh-huh. Late 60s, maybe. And, uh, this particular version of Godzilla, uh, never lost a single race in the series that was called the All Japan Championships, and it's an incredible street car. So it's a, it's a great buy, and it's finally available here in the United States. And if you look for the, uh, the Nismo versions, which were converted to, or rather homologated, I guess, for, right. for Group A racing, those are the, definitely the ones you want to get. So for each one of these cars that we're going to mention today in this list, there's always like one particular version that you want to look for. And this one, you want to look for the, the Nismo version of the vehicle. Right, and that came out in the uh, early 90s. But if you, find, if you find that you just want to get the standard, uh, the standard, if you can call it that, the standard <laughs> Nissan Skyline GTR, this thing has 276 horsepower, Electronic all-wheel drive system and right. and all-wheel steering in combine you know in combination with that. Yeah, uh, but the the engine might mislead you because the engine's about two point six liters. Yeah, it's a small six-cylinder inline engine, so it's not really that big of an engine. I mean, it's not very uh, it's not like a giant V eight or something. Right, but still, it's got a lot of punch. Uh, it definitely has a lot of punch. And for a while, I mean, you know, I remember hearing people. 
talking about getting a ride in one of the, in a legal skyline, you know, at some point, you know, because it was in the States, you know, it had been imported to Canada maybe, and then it was brought over and, you know, that was all the excitement in town or whatever, but, um, now you can legally get them here in the United States. Uh, and here's another one that we've done a podcast on the Toyota MR2 mm-hmm. SW20. Yeah. The SW20 in particular. And, um, now, they also suggest that you you chase a different type of model. You su- they suggest you go after the the GTS or the GT model as well. So in addition to the the SW20, now the GTS and the GT both receive turbocharged two liter engines, which put out 218 horsepower. And you got to remember that in North America we were limited to 200 horsepower, so uh, significantly more already at that point. However, the GTS um, uh, GTS and GT cars also held up a little better to the, the abuse that they could have received because they had updated brakes, uh, better gearbox and clutch, and they also had an enlarged radiator for improved cooling. Yeah, and just a note, if you check out our MR2 podcast, you'll hear a lot more about both the pros and the cons of the MR2. And I just want to say for the record that the SW20 still has a lot of the cons that the rank and file MR2 has. Sure, yeah, it was, uh, it was the good and the bad, right? The good and the bad. Yep. Uh, but speaking of good, let's go to the Nissan 180SX. Yeah, now this is going to be uh, it's going to be a head scratcher for a lot of our listeners because right. here in the states, uh, we were able to get the Nissan 240SX, mm-hmm. and but the the version from Japan, which is the K version that we're talking about, right? They, they had the 180SX, uh, which they also called the S13 Silvia. Mm-hmm. And I remember driving the Sylvia cars on, uh, I think it was some of the old Gran Turismo, um, video games a long yeah. time ago. So they were, they were a <laughs> nice. popular choice back then, you know, as, as import cars. Now these are rear wheel drive cars that featured, um, really torque heavy engines and really great steering, kind of like the MR2s of the same era. But the emphasis was on quick handling and, uh, you know, just taking it out of the country and, and being able to let it go. Yeah, we're talking 173 to 200 horsepower, depending upon the age range, mm-hmm. right? Depending yep. on the year. Five-speed manual. Mm-hmm. Yep. Instead of that four-speed auto. Uh, also the pop-up headlamps. And here's cool. Uh, here's a cool thing. Let's talk Turkey. Uh, Sean Bersh, I believe. Yeah, uh, I think that's it. Let's, I, let's call him Sean. Let's call him Sean. <laughs> Sean B, um, who runs Zen Auto up there in Calgary says that a clean S13 Silvia will cost you about ten grand, which isn't that bad. That really isn't that bad at all. I mean, and when you look at it, it's a good-looking car as yeah. well. Now, the next one is kind of an unusual one. Speaking and, of the opposite yeah, of good-looking and, cars. And tell you what, let's go through these kind of quick now yeah, at this yeah. point. So this is uh, this, this one called the Suzuki Carry. Yep. And it's a it's what's cool about this one is it's a it's a micro truck. I guess a micro car that has a truck bed on it. Mm-hmm. Um, really kind of neat. And they say really why it's cool is because it's just for sheer shock value. I mean, it's a good, um, I guess it'd be a good city truck, Ben. I mean, it's good something yep. to just commute in. You can right. carry some things in it. Not very much, really. I mean, it's got one of those low, low, uh, beds on the back end. But they say just for sheer shock value, when you, when you arrive <laughs> in something like this, you know, people take notice. It has it out. no power options. You know, it's got roll up windows, things motorcycle like that. Motorcycle engine. Uh, oh, motorcycle size engine. Yeah, that's a better way to say it. Motorcycle sized engine. So not a lot of power, but uh, it's good for around town use. It's something like 40 horsepower is right. all this thing has. Um, top speed is well under 60 miles per hour. Uh, but the good news is there's lots of them. And they're very cheap. So you should right. be able to get one of these pretty, pretty easily. So take a look at the Suzuki Carry 
and decide if it's something that you may want to import. Speaking of cheap, for around eight grand, you can get a 1989 S130 Toyota Crown. That's the uh, Japanese version of the Crown Vic. Uh, So these could be everything from taxis to cop cars to vehicles for ambassadors. People all over Tokyo still use these as taxis. Uh, be careful which one you get because there are a, uh, there's a wide variation in engine performance. Yeah, you can get a two liter engine. Well, it's an inline six. You can get a 2.4 liter engine that is a four cylinder and you can get a three liter inline six also. So there's a lot of different engines you can, you can look for. Um, also they say that, um, uh, these things look incredibly mean when they're lowered. So this right. is a, a popular choice for the street tuners uh, because it has that kind of, they say, brick-like body style. And uh, I can completely see that car being, you know, lowered and, and, you know, better tires and wheels and, you know, just kind of made into a, a stance car, I guess. It right. would uh, it would definitely have the look. And it's really, it's a cool car. And the good news is that they're built very solid, and they're they're also really cheap because there's so many of them that have been produced. Right, and Sean is weighing in on a lot of these cars we're talking about because their company has a pretty tight relationship with Japan, which brings us to the Mazda RX-7 FC. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so if you can find one out of Japan, especially Turbo, it can be in better condition than the North American version. Still talking about spending $10,000. And this is a little bit difficult because these are good cars, but they're very small. Yeah, yeah. And think about this. Now, we, we had the Mazda RX-7 here in the States and that when we're talking about, right? Uh, right. The same era. But this is a little bit different. This one is a, of course, it has a lot of the same features too. Right. It's got it, that, um, it's, it's, I, I'm just going to say it. It's got a, the Wankel Rotary, which is just amazing. To yeah, me. great car, and it's a, it's well balanced. It's lightweight. It has rear wheel drive, of course, and it has an, an engine that's mounted after the front axle, so it's really really nimble when you're trying to corner and even at slow speeds. It's got just great handling. Um, the ver- this version that we're talking about, the RX-7 FC, the one that you want to get is the 180 horsepower turbo version. And if you can wait just a little bit longer until the early 1990s vehicles become available, ah uh, yes, you can uh, you can find cars that have even more power because they stepped up the power in addition in you know in later years in Japan than they did here. And another and another thing they did in Japan, um, insurance companies forced them to produce the sports these sports coupes that have these tiny rear seats. Right. So that means that the seat rails that you find aren't going to go back quite as far as those do in the North American car. So if you're about six feet tall. Like if you're as tall as Robert Lamb and stuff to blow your mind. Exactly. He's the, one of the tall. I think he's the tallest guy in our office. He probably is, yeah. But he's uh, there's no way he's going to fit in a Japan-built uh, Mazda RX-7 FC because the seat rails won't allow him to go back far enough. But if you're under six feet, that's something that you may want to look at. And the other thing, the kind of cool factor in this is that you can buy, if you are under six feet, you can have an RX-7 FC that has a rear seat and... You're going to be driving on the right-hand side of the car, which is kind of unique as well. And that's what yeah. you know, that's what a lot of this is about, is just being unique. Right, yeah, having a notable, memorable, striking mm-hmm. vehicle. Uh, all right, so we've got the Toyota Celica GT4 up next. Yeah. Because, of course, people know that the Celica has already been around in America for a long time, but the GT4 has not. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'll tell you, I'm not all that crazy about the looks of this era no. Celica GT. And uh, the, the thing is, though, with this version that we're talking about, uh, the turbocharged 3S GTE, this is a 221 horsepower version of this of the Celica GT. 
And, you know, if you remember right, I think American buyers can only get up to something like 200 horsepower. Right. So this is, uh, you know, 21 horsepower more right out of the factory. It's got a better transmission, yep. too. Yep, that's exactly right. Better transmission. And uh, the, if you want, you could look for an even more rare version of this called the uh, the GT4 Rally, which was made only for Japan. But if you can find it, do yourself a favor and buy it because <laughs> yeah. the GT4, uh, the Rally, these were, again, only sold in Japan. It has a more rugged five-speed transmission no power anything. There's no air conditioning. There's no audio system. It has steel wheels. The thing was only meant to be built for racing, and that's it. It was just meant to race. So you can, if you can find a GT4 Rally version, which we haven't even heard of here in the United States, really, right? definitely buy it. So that's, that's their suggestion. Right. This is uh, our next one here is one that I'll be candid. I'm not the biggest fan of the BMW 325iX Touring. You're not a fan of it, huh? I'm not the biggest. I'm just not. I like wagons. Yeah, I'm not a wagon guy, I mm, think. I like them. Um, but you can get a, uh, you can get a really strong vehicle here. It's not the biggest performance. It's got, uh, let's see, it's got a couple of different engine ranges. There's a 2.5 liter inline six to a 2.3 liter, um. It's another inline six. Yeah. Putting, I believe. Right. Putting out 141 horsepower, but then you could get another, you get a diesel. Uh, the 324 TD that has 115 horsepower. Yeah, which is a little bit weaker, but they call it unkillable. Right, yeah. Like, this this thing is, you know how, like, zombies are kind of slow, but they keep getting up? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> the way this is. Now, it's an all-wheel drive, three-series wagon, which, you know, there's not a lot of those here in North America no, already to begin yeah. with. And uh, the thing is that it's only, like, 9000 bucks. Mm-hmm. So if you can get if, if you can get one for around that price, you're doing pretty well. Yep. And, uh, speaking so doing pretty well, we've got the VW Golf Rally from 1988 to 89. Mm-hmm. This is an all-wheel drive, homologated, uh, version of, of the VW Golf so that you get into rally racing, which is, uh, really, really cool because, I mean, how many people do you know have an all-wheel drive VW Golf? Right. I mean, uh, very, very few would. The, the thing is that it's also, there's a reason for this because it's tough to find these cars in a great condition. Mm-hmm. That's right, because they weren't babied at all. They were, they were relentlessly beat on the back roads of, of Europe because, you know, these were built for rally racing and people, you know, people drove them in pretty difficult environments, let's say. I mean, European markets like Switzerland and there were just very few of them made even. So the ones that were built, yeah. you know, have been put through their paces. And the, uh, <clears throat> Weirdly enough, these were supercharged. Yeah, which is really strange for right. Volkswagen, right? Yeah, because Volkswagen um, historically sticks with turbocharging. Yeah, so superchargers were unusual for the company. So it's this like rare quirk in Volkswagen history. In addition to being all-wheel drive, in addition to uh, you know just being a, a an unique one-off model. Right. Uh, in addition. You know, they've also got a, uh, you know, the, the right-hand drive thing going for them, which is kind of cool here in the United States, which we don't really have. Now, I guess overall, um, you should look for a, a specific type of rally, one, uh, one that yes. has the G60 designation, according to this article, because the G60 designation versions have 210 horsepower, which is really, really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's opposed to the 160 horsepower of the supercharged version. Which still isn't that bad. Not I mean, bad. that's still pretty strong. But yeah. but if you can get that 210 horsepower version, uh, you're doing pretty well. I mean, you're already in the market. Mm-hmm. Go for it. It's like if you're already getting, uh, if you've already caved and you're getting a large popcorn, get some butter on yeah, it. Yeah, you might as well. Right? Don't lie and, to yourself. And there's another Golf on our uh, on our list here in yep. number 10. Yep. Uh, the 1990 Volkswagen Golf Country. 
which yeah. is something I've never seen in my life. <laughs> this was a this was a new one to me too, buddy. The, I, at first, I thought it was just somebody else's like project car they had made. It definitely looks like someone built this one themselves. Yeah. The Golf Country, it's lifted golf with all wheel drive and skid plates. Um, only three thousand were sold. <laughs> uh, it's got a one point eight liter eight valve. Uh, with 112 horsepower. Yeah, so modest power is how they put it. Is, that's being polite. Yeah. And uh, it has crazy amped up su- suspension, right? Yeah, yeah. so it can do that off-road articulation thing. Like, you know, imagine if you were like rock crawling in a, not exactly that, but close to it, in a Volkswagen yeah. Golf. I mean, that's that's how strange and bizarre this vehicle is. Now, I guess there's a, a synchro all-wheel drive system that was just phenomenal in this thing as well. So, right. you know, even though it had low power, it shifted really well. It was able to go off-road, which is something you really can't do in a Golf. I mean, not your <laughs> typical Golf, right? So this this kind of like one-off all-wheel drive, all um off-road golf is just so unusual for Volkswagen. It's it's worth looking into. It's worth trying to find one. Yep. And out of the 3,000 built. Right. And now we come to uh, number one on our list, which, again, is in no particular order, mm-hmm. by which I mean to emphasize that number one is by no means the best. Yeah, maybe not. I. <laughs> yeah, okay. I know where you're going now. I, I wasn't sure at, the, at that point, but uh, when I saw that it's the Ford... Fiesta RS Turbo. From 1990. Yeah, from 1990. And you don't like this, right? Because we talked about this in a previous podcast. That's true. You're we not talked a, about you're it. You're not a Fiesta fan, right? No, I am not at the party. But the good news is here for people that for people that do like Fiestas, like me, this is a sleeper import, Ben. This is something that uh, will shock you with its power. Well, it would have shocked you back in 1990. Right. Maybe not so much now. Because, uh, you know... Let's be honest. I mean, some of the smaller hatchbacks now, they're, they're pretty quick. They've got zip now, for sure. They really do. But back then, it was relatively unusual for something like this to be built. And uh, I don't know. It, of course, we as Americans, we never got to see this car. We got to read about it, you know, in a lot of different magazines. I, I remember flipping through the car magazines and seeing this car and wishing I could have something like this. That's how, that's how unusual it was. It was such a strange vehicle. Well, you got some uh, stats to lay on us? I got a few stats here, I guess. it's It's got a 1.6 liter Intercooled turbo, uh, which in a lot of cases they say that's that's pretty shocking to begin with. It had an intercooled turbo right. in, in that decade. Yeah. Now because it didn't, it also didn't have any uh, turbo lag, which is really strange to think about. I mean, but you know, some of the bigger engines would have a lot of turbo lag. This one has almost no turbo lag, which again is pretty. That's a pretty good selling point. A lot of torque. It has 135 pound feet of torque, which came pretty low, like around 2400 RPM. Now the zero to sixty time. This is where I'm what I'm talking about. Yeah. Back in 1990, this was pretty decent. A zero to sixty time of just 7.7 seconds, which today isn't all that impressive. But you got to put yourself back 25 years ago, and you got to think about that. Pretty good. Yeah. So actually, it's 24 years. This one will be available in the United States next year, if you think about it that way. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. true. So this one's available in Canada now, uh-huh. not here in the United States right now. But um, so if you can find an RS Turbo, I mean, while they're not ridiculously quick, you know, but but it was for its time. You got to remember that. It's still something worth looking into. It's still something that uh, that has, um, if not anything more than this, just historical value. Yeah, I mean, if you're a fan of Ford Fiestas, this could be your opportunity. <laughs> Someone like me would love it to have a great party. Someone like you, eh, maybe not. Just get in a carpool with some Honda Odysseys. Okay, <laughs> it's in it's in that category, huh? <laughs> it's not. It's not that oh, bad. Oh man, see now I'm looking I'm at just this. Busting one. Your chops. I'm looking at this 1990 Fiesta. 
And I would say that even the ones even prior to this, the just standard models that were yeah. all boxy and angular, yeah. I like those even more than this. Are you kidding? I really like those angular, boxy, squared off um, hatchbacks. It's so that's so interesting because I didn't know that about you. Yeah, like, it's, a, it's kind of a it's a cool thing. I like yeah. I like that. I guess it'd be a retro look at this point. Well, let us know what cars, uh, which cars you're looking forward to finally having in the states. Well, Scott, uh, as as you know. To each his own, right? Yeah, these are just uh, 11 examples from someone at Popular Mechanics. <laughs> well, I mean, really, no, we've, there's yeah. probably so many more that you and I could come up with on our own that we would like to see, right? You know, that came from that era. And in fact, maybe we should do that. Maybe we should put together some lists. I think that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. And to do that, we'd like some help from you guys. Uh, hopefully, as you've been listening, you've, well, actually, I'm sure that as you've been listening, a couple of ideas have cropped up and you're thinking, oh, why didn't they mention that one? Yeah. You know, think about all those car and driver magazines that you read back in the late 80s. Right. Yeah. What would you like to see here? Because when you, when you read them, you said, why are they not selling that here in North America? Why? And this may be the chance very soon to finally have the car of your dreams. So let us know about this list and check out all of our podcasts and the videos that you and I do occasionally mm-hmm. on carstuffshow.com. You can visit us on Facebook and Twitter to recommend uh, some upcoming topics or, you know, just to give us some feedback on stuff you like and... When you're assembling your list of cars that you wish were imported, go ahead and send it to carstuff at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids, no plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.